Hey, hello and good morning. Hi there. It is Sunday, July 5th, 2020. My name is John Firsty. I'm Sarah Firsty. And we lead the River Church community in downtown New York City. We're a, a church that's been in downtown Manhattan since 2004. And uh, like the entire world, everything changed for us with the coronavirus uh, when we stopped gathering in person and since then have been doing these videos and other ways of engaging online. Actually, our last regular church service was March 8th. Can you believe that? And back then, we found it hard to imagine how we could move forward without gathering in person. But it's the connections that make the river a truly special place. Yeah. And those connections have become more evident, even though we're forced to interact in some new and different sometimes uncomfortable ways. Exercising new muscles. That's right. Yeah. And not only that, we've seen a good share of new folks find us online, join in, and begin to participate, and that has been so exciting. So good job, everybody. Well done. That's indeed, right. indeed. So um, also during this time, of course, like the whole world, we as a diverse urban community have really been grappling with this topic of racial injustice over these past few weeks in, in particular. We remain convinced that this is a God-ordained prophetic moment and what we're seeking to do is to do our best to really respond to it fully. We have a core conviction at the river and that is that God is moving things forward in the world. God is moving the world forward. God is even moving the Christian church forward, sometimes kicking and screaming, uh, but forward nonetheless. And over the years, the river has uh, sought to do the work to be a part of that. For example, um, dealing with the, the topics, for example, of, of women in leadership uh, as one example, or the full inclusion of LGBTQ folks in the life of the church. Mm -hmm. And now we are seeking to do the work of addressing systemic racism that is embedded not only in our country, uh, but sometimes even in our practice of faith as Americans. And so we're taking a careful look at that. And since the death of George Floyd, our goal as a church community has been to not, not simply to mention uh, racial injustice in our sermons, but to dig deep and to press in, to press for lasting change for our own lives, for our community, and for the world around us. Mm -hmm. Right. And we've chosen to do that by hearing from many voices because we recognize that there are many perspectives and that we need to hear from each other right mm -hmm. now. So we've been inviting allies of the black community to speak about what they're learning. We've heard from Don Jurabon, yeah, John Pfaff, and last week, Dero Lee. And those are great videos that you can see on this YouTube channel. And today, you're in, though, for a special retreat as we continue. Yes, indeed. Uh, Allison Noel is one of the staff members at the River, and she is a remarkable person. Mm -hmm. uh, you probably know her best as our River Youth Group Leader. Her videos have been on here regularly. Uh, but in addition to that, uh, she is currently leading our Brave Space Group, along with Clara Park. And what they're doing is an online gathering, and that gathering is committed to having the difficult but necessary conversations regarding injustice and inequality and oppression, and it's really been terrific. And today, here on our playlist, uh, Allison will be sharing insightfully uh, about all that we can do um, to be 
prophets and using our voices to help bring justice into the world. And uh, we're excited. We'll interview Allison. She'll do a segment, and then we'll come back at the end and wrap things up. So let's meet Allison. Let's meet Allison. <laughs> hey, okay, so here we are. We are excited to uh, introduce, or not really introduce, no. maybe maybe reintroduce or uh, invite you to get to know Allison Knoll a little better. Hello, Allison. Hey, Allison. How are so you good doing today? To see you. Yeah. I'm doing well. How are you? We're doing all right. You know, we're out here in Southern California looking after an elderly family member, and it's like we understand we're in your stomping grounds out here, right? Where are you from originally? I'm originally from Tustin, California. Um, I've been there. Yeah, not too far from where you are at right yeah, now. Yeah, we saw there's a big plaque there that said Allison Knoll <laughs> was born here. No. Not really. No, but really uh, we'd have there. thought of you as we've been driving around Southern California. Uh, this past week. So tell us a little bit about yourself. What should we know? You recently graduated. Tell us about your about that and maybe about Mike. Um, so I recently graduated from a four-year dual degree program. So I went to school at Union Theological Seminary to get my Master's of Divinity and the Columbia School of Social Work to get my Master's of Social Work. Um, it was a combined integrated program. Um, and I just finished, which is really exciting. Yay! Good for you. Well done. And uh, you are kind of in, still in the newlywed category. Is that right? Ish? Um, almost. Well, it's like a year and a half. Okay. A year and uh, a half. But yeah, my, my husband, Mike, and I uh, recently got married. He's a native New Yorker from Queens. Um, so that's where we live. And we're doing really well. Oh, that's great. Now, how did you originally end up at the river? Do you remember the story of how you hooked up the river NYC? Yeah, I actually uh, came to visit the river. Um, so I moved out to New York to work in children's book publishing, and I was um, doing a, pro a summer program for that, and I wanted to check out churches, and the river was the first church that I found, and I went to visit, and then I kind of chickened out and decided I wasn't quite ready to dive in. And so it took me a little while to come back around, but once I did, I was all in. I would say so, awesome. yes, yes. People have different processes to get involved. That's been great. Now you, along with Clara Park, have recently, we're about halfway through this new idea that you guys came up with. It's been really fantastic called Brave Space. It's a conversation. Tell us about Brave yeah. Space that's been going on. Yeah, so this was, it, you know, partly influenced by experiences I've had uh, during my time in grad school. And so I've taken a lot of courses where I've really been delving into material about anti-racism and justice work. Um, so I really wanted to see if I could bring that to the church. And Clara Park has also been doing similar studies. Um, at Yale, um, so she seems like a great partner uh, to work with. And so we decided that for, you know, we don't know what will happen next, but we wanted to start out with a six week course, uh, really delving into anti-black racism and looking at how that functions. And we decided to make it particularly for white people and non-black people of color. And just the reason for that was wanting to kind of spare black people uh, from having to do the emotional labor of educating um, right. white people and non-black uh, people of color. Also, 
I've been in a lot of mixed groups and sometimes what happens is um, there's kind of a pressure for black people to put their trauma on display and in order to educate and also a lot of times the conversations as white people or a non-black person of color is sort of awakening to their relationship to whiteness and white privilege um, they can kind of as if they're going through that process, they can share things that might be traumatizing to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of looking to create a space particularly for that, but um, by no means will this be the only group for, right, right. that we'll be, we'll be there having. Are, there are more things in the hopper coming yeah. already, but yeah. it's been so great for you guys to take the initiative and, and respond to this incredible time that we're in. Yeah, that's right. And um, we're really appreciative of uh, not only that group, but of you personally, you and Mike, and uh, the contributions you've been making for so long to the river, uh, particularly in the youth. We've been watching those videos every week, week. sneaking into your youth group, essentially, and loving what you've been doing, and really grateful that you would take today, um, you know, and share a little more, a little more about what you're personally processing and thinking about and uh, share it with the church community more broadly. So thank you for, yes. for doing this. Very Thanks for inviting me to share. All right. Thank you, Allison. Thanks again. All right. Thank you, John and Sarah, for asking me to share today. Ever since I was a young person, I have been passionate about social justice. There have been some good things about this passion. Over the years, it has allowed me to speak up about injustice and oppression when it has shown up in my family, in my schools, and in my communities. However, a downside of this passion was that on some level, I thought that I got it. This unconscious belief that I had already arrived kept me from learning as deeply as I could have. And it kept me from uncovering more of my own blind spots. When I started grad school four years ago, it became clear to me how much I didn't know about my own internalized beliefs and behaviors, about the true history of our country and the Christian church, about how to engage in justice work in ways that are helpful instead of harmful. So I committed to a process of learning and growing as much as I could. But the more I learned, the more I realized how much I still needed to learn. And along the way, I realized that I was never going to arrive, that I was never going to fully get it, that there was always going to be more for me to learn and more ways to grow, that becoming a person who embodies justice is a lifelong process with no finish line. So I speak to you today as someone who is still learning and growing. I'm happy to share what has helped me in this process, but that is all that it is. What has helped me personally with all the specific identities that I hold, including being a white woman. What may be helpful to you may be completely different based on your specific identities. So recently, I have been thinking a lot about and talking to the youth group about what it means to be a prophet. The word prophet literally means before plus speaker, a before speaker. In the Bible, prophets often spoke about the future before it happened. But perhaps more importantly, 
They spoke about the present in ways that brought greater clarity, especially about forms of injustice and oppression. By doing so, they helped the people of God to see the world around them more clearly, to understand their own complicity in oppressive systems, and to take steps to create a more just world. At first, the role of the prophet was reserved for select individuals chosen by God. Such individuals had an enormous burden placed on their shoulders, but things changed on the day of Pentecost. After the Holy Spirit was poured out on the apostles and they began to speak in languages that they had never learned, Peter addressed the crowd and said this, fellow Jews, all of you who are visiting Jerusalem, listen carefully and get this story straight. These people aren't drunk as some of you suspect, they haven't had time to get drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. This is what the prophet Joel announced would happen. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on every kind of people. Your sons will prophesy, also your daughters. Your young men will see visions, your old men dream dreams. When the time comes, I'll pour out my spirit on those who serve me, men and women both, and they'll prophesy. In this passage, Peter is quoting the prophet Joel, who said that in the last days, God would pour out God's spirit on every kind of person and that all types of people would prophesy. Peter is saying that the time that Joel had predicted had come. The amazing scene they had just witnessed was evidence that that time was now. The spirit had just been poured out on the disciples and would soon begin spreading to all kinds of people, young, old, woman, man, every type of person. And as the Holy Spirit spread, so would the ability and responsibility to prophesy. According to Joel's prophecy, the responsibility to be a before speaker or a prophet no longer belongs just to a special few, but instead is a responsibility shared by all of God's people. I believe that if taken seriously, this can be good news. Imagine a world in which the burden to speak out and fight injustice is not reserved for a select few, but is instead carried by everyone. It's hard to imagine. But I believe that this is God's vision for the world, a vision that we are invited to participate in. That being said, I don't think that we wake up one day ready and able to speak about the world with clarity. Instead, I believe that we have the choice to try to grow into prophets over time. So what spiritual practices can shape and sustain us as we seek to become prophets? One spiritual discipline that we can practice is curiosity. Curiosity is defined as a strong desire to know or learn something. In order to speak about the world with clarity, we need to understand it deeply. Learning helps us to do that. Sometimes we think of curiosity as a feeling, the feeling that comes over us, that makes us think, hmm, I wonder. But curiosity can also be a practice something you choose to do intentionally. We can choose to set aside time in our lives to ask important questions and to seek out the answers. 
we can also work to develop a mindset of curiosity as we go about our daily lives. Personally, I have found it helpful to be intentionally curious about four areas, myself, other people, the world, and God. Some questions that I return to regularly are, how do the different aspects of my identity, race, ethnicity, nationality, gender, sexual orientation, age, and more influence how I experience the world? How do my experiences differ from others and why? Which individuals and groups of people are present in my life? Who is absent and why? How did we get where we are with any given issue? What factors contributed? And finally, what does God have to say about this? A few cautions about curiosity. First, genuine curiosity needs to be paired with openness and humility. This means being willing to change your opinions and beliefs, being willing to admit that you were wrong, and not automatically viewing yourself or your ways as superior just because they are familiar. Second, curiosity can be used to cause harm. Before asking someone sensitive questions about their life experiences, be sure that they are willing to participate in the conversation. If someone does not want to expend the emotional labor to help educate you, then honor their no. Research what educational resources are already out there. There are so many. And when possible, financially support the people who have created them. A second spiritual discipline that we can practice is listening. Prophets have honed their ability to listen to the cries of those who are hurting or oppressed. They then work to get other people to listen, to understand, and to take action. In order to speak about oppression, we need to learn how to listen. We need to listen to those who are experiencing injustice firsthand and to the prophets who are already crying out in our midst, both those speaking now and those who have been crying out for generations. So how do we grow in listening? First, we can practice active listening with those around us. Instead of just listening to respond, we can focus on being fully present to the person speaking. We can practice repeating back what we've heard to make sure that we are understanding correctly. This may feel awkward at first, but I found that it really does help. Second, we can seek out voices from many perspectives. Watch movies, read books, listen to podcasts featuring people who are different from you. Intentionally seek out perspectives that are different than your own. Look for resources created by people who hold specific identities where their voices and stories are centered instead of ones that have been created about them by others. Third, we can listen by watching. It is important to understand that all behavior is a form of communication. Sometimes messages are communicated through actions instead of words. We need to practice being able to understand those unspoken messages. 
As you pay attention to the actions of those around you or in the news, ask yourself, what are they trying to communicate through their actions? Is there some kind of message that they want people to hear? Is there some kind of message that hasn't been heard that now can only be communicated through action? A third spiritual discipline that we can practice is seeing. In order to speak about oppression, we need to learn how to see it clearly. Prophets have honed this ability by intentionally looking for specific things. So what do we need to practice looking for? First, we can practice seeing difference. It is often more comfortable for us to pay attention to what we share in common as opposed to the ways that we differ from each other. It is comfortable to say things like, deep down, we're all the same. And in some ways, this is true. It is true that we all deserve equal dignity and worth. But this does not mean that we all have the same ideas, perspectives, values, cultures, or identities. And it definitely does not mean that we experience the world in the same way or are treated the same. We need to see difference in order to begin to understand it. Second, we can practice seeing power in the world. Prophets are keenly aware of who holds power in society and who does not. Power takes many forms, representation, leadership, wealth, influence, decision-making, and more. We can become more aware of who holds power and who does not by asking ourselves some questions. For example, we can ask, who is in the majority? Who is in the minority? Who has a voice? Who doesn't? Who gets to make important decisions? Who doesn't? Who is represented? Who isn't? We can ask these questions about every context that we are in. We can ask them about our families, our schools, our church, our city, our state, our country, and so on. Awareness of power gives us insight into the causes of inequality and oppression, as well as into potential solutions. Third, we can practice seeing power in ourselves. In addition to paying attention to power in the world, we need to pay attention to power in ourselves it is important to ask ourselves, in what ways do I hold power? For example, there are aspects of my identity that align with power and privilege. I'm white, I am a Christian, I am a US citizen, I am middle class, I am college educated. Those are all ways that I hold power and privilege. Also, as someone in my 30s, I hold power over those younger than me. As we become more aware of how we hold power, there is more potential for us to use our power for good. And if we are blind to the ways that we hold power, we are more likely to unintentionally cause harm. Fourth, we can practice seeing patterns. Prophets notice where patterns of inequality and oppression exist. They notice patterns over time and space. This is important because when a specific incident of inequality or oppression takes place, prophets understand it in the context of a larger pattern. They understand how what has come before adds to the pain of the present.
Fifth, we can practice seeing human dignity. Prophets do not see those experiencing oppression just as the oppressed. Instead, they make it a point to see dignity in all individuals and communities. Instead of just seeing problems and weaknesses, prophets make it a point to pay attention to the ways that people are strong, resourceful, joyful, beautiful, creative, even in the midst of oppression and inequality. If thinking about how to be a prophet has been helpful to you today, you're welcome to follow along with the youth group videos for the next couple weeks where I'll continue to talk about this topic. Next Sunday, I am going to explore the practice of embracing our discomfort. Thank you. Thank you, Allison. I knew that was going to be good. Uh, so many good thoughts in there and practical suggestions about how we can keep growing. Uh, personally, I love what you said about curiosity, that it's a choice, an intentional practice of cultivating openness and humility. That one's going to stick with me and uh, really appreciate it. Thank you again for sharing. And as someone trying to find my voice in these matters, I'm challenged by the idea of us being prophets before speakers. And this is such a stretch in a good way to see ourselves as prophets, not someone else, but us. Wow. And I really appreciate the very practical ways you suggested that we can really step into that. Mm -hmm. And that the result of being filled with the Spirit at Pentecost is that we're empowered to speak life and hope and justice to each other and to the world. So thank you, Allison. Yeah, thanks. So to conclude, I'd like to read the story of Pentecost again. And this time, let's place ourselves in it. This is your story. It's our story. Let's imagine ourselves, all of us, being there in this moment. So imagine with me as I read it again. When the day of Pentecost came, we were all together in one place. Suddenly, a loud sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where we were sitting. We saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of us. All of us were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak and the Spirit enabled us. Then Peter explained what was happening. God says, I am pouring out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I am pouring out my Spirit in these days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Hmm. That's great. Well, let's conclude today by praying this benediction together here on the screen. As, As we, we go, go let's, let's remember, remember that the, the Spirit whispers in our ear all day long, whispering, whispering a message of love and liberation beckoning us to follow her into paths as yet unimagined, 
we go from this place as people empowered by God, unafraid to dream and to vision, to work and to pray until the kingdom is come. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, everybody. Appreciate you.